welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I'm delighted to once again be speaking with Andrew Perkis, OBE, about the role of the chair of the Charity Commission. We talk about the track record of the current chair who'll be leaving the post in February and what Andrew hopes the next chair will bring to the role. Andrew is a fitting commentator for this subject, having sat as a board member of the Charity Commission himself in the past and with many years of relevant knowledge and expertise. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is Andrew Perkis, OBE, speaking with me about the role of the chair of the Charity Commission. I'm delighted to be joined by friend of the show, Andrew Perkis, OBE. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much. Nice to be back. Our listeners know you from um, the episode you did with us back in June of this year about the changing remit of charities. That was episode 91. Um, A reminder to our listeners, though, Andrew has a wealth of knowledge and experience of the charity sector. He's held many senior leadership roles and had been a trustee of multiple charities and of course has served as a charity commission board member too. So we're very delighted to have you Andrew and a few weeks ago um, it was announced that Baroness Stonewell chair of the charity commission would be stepping down in February 2021. Um, She's been in post since 2018. It's, It's two years long enough do you think for a charity commission chair to make a difference on the sector and what impact has Baroness Stowell had on the sector? Well, to take those questions, I think uh, it is quite difficult to make uh, a sustained impact in one term, which is what um, Tina Stowell has had, and suspect it's not a coincidence, as it were, that she's leaving after one term, because my guess is that the powers that that be have picked up that um, you know she hasn't gone down a storm uh, in in some important parts of her stakeholders in that job. If I look, uh, we can go into more detail at this at what she's achieved. I don't know enough to know when it comes to the operational efficiency of the charity commission. How good a chair of the board she's been. When it it comes to the sort of public messaging, which is a particularly important function of the board and the chair in particular, I think you'd have to say that um, in the view of many people in the charity sector itself, which of course is, is only one, constituency that she has to pay attention to, um, her achievements have been negative rather than positive. How far people in Parliament, which is her ability, think that, I don't know. But uh, quite a lot of people in Parliament know a lot about the voluntary sector, whether they're in the House of Lords or House of Commons. And I get the impression that quite a few of them will have picked up and probably share the misgivings uh, of many people.
what expectations should charities, the beneficiaries they support, and the general public have of the chair of the Charity Commission? What role does the Charity Commission have in, I suppose, unifying or forming the expectations of these three groups? Well, the Charity Commission is responsible for the public to the public interest. So, um, you know, the most important thing is really that um, they must um, remember all the time that they're accountable to Parliament. Uh, and it's Parliament that in our system represents uh, the public interest, which is not exactly the same as popular opinion. You know, on many issues, MPs have to make their own minds up uh, and show leadership uh, in, as to what they think is in the best long-term interests of the country and of the, and of the public, uh, whether or not their decisions are popular. Um, and um, I think that the, the main job of the, of the Charity Commission uh, is, to, uh, is to listen to Parliament and, and pay real attention to the remit that Parliament has given them in the Charities Act uh, and to uh, account to Parliament convincingly that they actually have been carrying out that remit and make, not making up some other remit of their own. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the job of the Charity Commission uh, to, um, to be a cheerleader for the charities or to represent charities' interests. Uh, you know, that's the job. The charities can do that themselves, either directly or through their... Uh, representative well that's not the charity commission's job so they're not it's, it's quite right they're not supposed to to be simply a mouthpiece for the interests of charities and both the public and parliament that represents the public um, should expect the charity commission itself to do and say unpopular things if necessary in order to promote the public interest not the interests of charities in particular um, so all that's fine having said that if the Charity Commission's chair annoys and frustrates a very large number of leading people in the charity sector, it's rather unlikely that their regulation is going to be very effective. Uh, because um, unless you have the basic respect of the uh, of the constituency that you're regulating, you're very unlikely to be a very good regulator. Uh, and um, uh, it's not a question in this case of, um, uh, of her having said things uh, in the public interest that are unpopular, which in itself is, is not a problem and is part of what any good chair of the Charity Commission would have to do. It's more that she's... Um, managed to rub up uh, charities uh, the wrong way uh, without actually uh, deliver anything that's of any real value to the public either. Uh, and, um, you know, she has had a habit of speaking in very vague terms when the most important thing in, in effective regulation 
is to be clear and precise so that trustees know what is expected of them. Um, whereas um, this chair, Baroness Stoll, uh, has tended to speak in rather vague terms about how to live up to an ideal of the spirit of charity uh, with a very moral flavor about uh, humility and selflessness and so forth, um, which the first, as I say, is extremely vague. If somebody sort of says to you, Sam, show the spirit of charity, be humble, be selfless. You know, you wouldn't particularly know exactly what you're supposed to be actually doing. Uh, even if you thought that I had the authority to preach at you in that way. Mm. Um, uh, and the second problem is that she has been forever suggesting that basically charities in general, not just a few charities or by implication, the whole sector is failing. It's failing to live up to these vaguely defined public expectations of behavior. So there's been a constant drip, drip, drip of dis sweeping disparagement of the sector as a whole. And of course, that's very annoying if you work in the sector uh, and if you work, you're working your socks off uh, for a charitable cause and absolutely doing your utmost and doing your best. And very frequently when pressed, what did she actually mean? Exactly what kind of behavior has got to change? How has it got to change? She has really been virtually unable to answer. Um, so you get the disparagement without any uh, clear or precise guidance that might help, help people to do better. And, you know, the public's opinion about charities um, is very difficult, really, to um, rely on in the sense that their own research shows that a very large percentage of the public have virtually no idea as to what is a charity and what isn't. When they're talking, when they talk about charity, you press them to say they can usually on average about name on average about eight or nine big charities that they've heard of. And the, the entire diversity of the, the charitable sector is lost on them. The public isn't monolithic. The, 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 those who know most about charities, by and large, have most trust and confidence in charities. And the idea is that, as Tina Stowell has put it, that uh, the writing is on the wall, that is unless, in general, unless they start behaving differently and pull their socks up and start being more humble and selfless and kind and so forth, um, is really has virtually no credibility whatever so it's been a very disappointing and frustrating time for those of us who believe strongly in the important role of the charity commission I guess, you know, we talk about the public, but then, I mean, the public are part of the public are the beneficiaries of uh, the work of charities, aren't they? Is yes. there a, and is, is there any suggestion that um, maybe 
people that benefit from charities understand charities better than those that don't or anything like this? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. But of course, trustees are very numerous. They're part of the public as well. Mm. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, our donors are part of the public. It's, it's very dangerous to in a pulpit and start making generalizations about what the public expect. Yeah. And the, it, it, it's not actually the job that Parliament has given them. You know, Parliament has given a very clear job, I think, to um, promote not only trust and confidence in charities, but they've got five, you know, they've got five different, uh, you know, apparently equal um, strategic objectives, of which we've heard very little in recent years, because they preferred, if you like, to make up their own version of what they're supposed to be doing. But um, it's not just trust and confidence. As you know, there is a compliance objective. Uh, then there's a, the objective to help charities to be uh, to donors and beneficiaries and the general public at large. And there's the objective, uh, the charitable resources objective, to, to enable and encourage um, charities to use charitable resources more effectively. And there's the public benefit requirement, which is to make charities more aware of the need to be working and to explain how they're working for the public benefit, not just for a small section of society like the very rich, for example. Uh, and um, there's been virtually no mention of public benefit uh, in the last few years, so that it's been a very kind of um, lopsided regime under Tina Stoll, where there's been uh, almost an obsessive concern with living up to some purported generalized public expectations about behavior, but very little about all those other strategic objectives, which they've been given by parliament. I think the concerns about um, the nomination of uh, Baroness Stowell back on uh, the 21st of February 2018, the independent newspaper reported that the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee, the DCMS, um, had raised concerns about the then Culture Secretary Matt Hancock's nomination of Baroness Stowell uh, for the role of chair of the Charity Commission citing that uh, she had failed to demonstrate the skills and experience needed <clears throat> excuse me, for the role. Uh, Baroness Stowell's previous experience was as leader of the House of Lords and before that the BBC's head of corporate affairs, the chair of the DCMS committee, who was then Conservative MP Damien Collins, said that there were concerns with Baroness Stowell's experience neutrality. Uh, do you think these concerns have been realised over the last two years under um, Baroness Stowell's tenure? Uh, yes, I'm afraid I do. Um, I think that for the reasons I've explained, she has not demonstrated understanding of and empathy with uh, or the diversity of charities. Uh, she'll often speak as if every charity is to do with caring and she'll talk 
about, um, as I say, charities' behaviour and so forth. And it's really fairly clear that she doesn't really have a deep knowledge and familiarity with all the different kinds of charities that there are many of which have got nothing at all to do with caring kindly for other people and so forth. Um, nor really uh, has, is she at all familiar with the motivation, the driving force, uh, the actual practi practical realities of what it's actually like to work in these charities and to lead these charities. Uh, so that, I think, has been um, rather painfully obvious. and. I don't think it would be true to say that she's been um, intentionally or overtly partisan. I wouldn't make that accusation at all. But the problem is a problem of perception. Um, and if people know that you have been the leader of the Conservative Party in the House of Lords, and actually before that has worked in the office, the sort of engine room of, the, of a previous conservative leader, um, they are going to become distrustful uh, of different kinds of things that you say because they believe it's coming from a political point of view. Uh, and I'll give you a recent example that um, she's sort of wrote a, 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 an article in the Daily Mail, conservative newspaper, telling charities that they mustn't get involved in culture wars. She seemed to be entirely ignorant that uh, charities have, have always been involved in culture wars and have had to be involved in culture wars because they bring moral and social uh, concerns and passions into the public arena and they want to change public uh, ways of thinking and ways of doing in favour of their beneficiaries. Uh, charities have been in the lead in uh, an onslaught on the cultural assumptions about the different roles of men and women as they were in the past, about the dignity and equality of, of gay people, of um, ethnic minority people, of people of different religions that used to be discriminated against involved in culture wars about the assumptions that are leading to global warming and the degradation of the environment. They're, these are culture wars that must be fought. You can't expect charities to sit on the sidelines, you know, and that it's all about being kind and nice. So this is an enormous gap of credibility. And the trouble is that if you're also Involved, uh, so closely associated with a particular political party, people will say, oh, well, yes, you know, you can, this is what you must expect because, unfortunately, this chair is a, is a known uh, conservative enthusiast, so she's not going to be uh, sufficiently broad in her understanding and sympathies uh, to be a decent regulator of, a, of the charitable sector, which is not allowed to be party political at all. Um, and so, I mean, successive chairs of the Charity Commission have suffered, however conscientious they have been and professional they have been in their own intentions, they have stymied uh, 
by being closely associated with one political party or another. So when Dame Susie Leather, under whom I served, and who I think was an extremely conscientious and professional person, uh, but when she was trying to uh, lead the commission in its work on public benefit, uh, it was widely assumed out there that because she was a member of the Labour Party, it was all about trying to hammer public schools. Now, that was not true, but it was a very damaging perception. Uh, William Shawcross, shortly before he was appointed, uh, had um, publicly written an article saying that if Gordon Brown were to be elected at the next election, it would be an absolute disaster for Britain and so on. Hardly the sort of uh, unpartisan comment you'd hope for. Uh, he was in the chair and he was closely associated with um, sort of Atlanticist uh, right-wing opinion and was perceived and seen as such by different sections of society. And that certainly hampered his credibility. And Tina Stolas had similar difficulties. So, I mean, one of the crucial lessons for the future, we hope, is that it really matters. When the job description says that the person should be free of partisan associations and should be perceived as demonstrably independent, it really means what it says and it's really important. And it's some minister to override and ignore that and insist that a particular person should be chair when they have close party political associations. You've sat on the board of the Charity Commission yourself, Andrew. I just wonder, you know, we hear a lot about the chair of the Charity Commission. We don't hear much about the board members. What kind of sway do they have you know if if you're the chair of the charity commission saying something and you're a board member you know do you say to them hang on a second you know there's a problem with what you're saying here well it's a very good question certainly when i was on the board um i would claim that um you know there was no way that the chair could just steamroll or something through the board uh, you know, we, we were all individuals with our own minds and we used to speak our minds and, and have an influence. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the specifications for the chair uh, should be that the chair is a team player uh, and is somebody that enables and brings out the best in other board members uh, and fosters a genuine, deep, shared understanding of, of what the board is trying to do and why, whether... Tina Stoll has achieved that, and whether she says these things that have gone down very badly uh, amongst um, many charities, whether she's representing faithfully a solid shared understanding of the whole board, or whether she's low and causing a certain amount of embarrassment and frustration to other members of the board, I don't know. Mm. Um, what I think is really important is that uh, the Charity Commission itself needs to have a culture and ways of working where it really is not possible for the chair to go out there to the media and say things which cause difficulty and embarrassment for other board members or the staff of the commission. Uh, and um, it's extremely disappointing that some of the things that have emerged publicly from Tina Stoll have not been challenged and corrected 
by other members of the board or by the senior staff. So that's an important issue. And it's very important when we, when we come to the next chair that the panel and parliament and the Secretary of State convince themselves that this person is a team player and will do their conscientious best to represent the collective and corporate view of the commission and not go off on one as a solo effort. What would be an ideal CV for the next chair of the Charity Commission, do you think? Here are some of the things that I think are very important. Uh, I mean, I suppose I'm talking person spec rather than a CV. Sure. But um, I think it's very important that they really do have an in-depth understanding of the sector that they're hoping to regulate. Mm. And that means it's not it's not enough to have to have been a trustee of one one charity or a couple of charities or something you know there needs to be a a, a more in-depth experience than that and there needs on top of that to be an understanding of the full diversity of the charity sector and why all aspects of the charity sector, whether you're talking about the environmentalists or the arts or health or anti-poverty or international development, that all of them are charitable objectives that have been blessed by Parliament and they're all important. And we cannot again have a chair of the Charity Commission that has a rather limited and restricted view of what charities are or should be. Uh, it's Parliament that decides what charities are and should be. And it's set out there in Parliament. And, and you know, you cannot, we cannot again have somebody that sort of neglects and doesn't understand whole swathes of, of, of the sector they're trying to regulate. So that sort of in-depth knowledge really matters. Uh, and that was a valid objection that the Select Committee of Parliament raised to Tina Stoll's candidate. We've already discussed about independence of political partisanship and it really matters for the a non-ministerial department public body like uh, the charity commission that is regulating a sector that is not allowed to be party political it's a sort of silly contradiction then to have a, the chair of the regulatory body that's very closely associated with the political party it's you know it's set up they're setting them up to fail yeah. We don't want that again. Thirdly, I think there's, there's the understanding uh, and commitment of what the public interest is, the long-term public interest, and that it's not the same as gusts of popular opinion. Mm. And it's certainly not the same as gusts of media headlines. The person needs to know what it's like and, and to, to have some track record of um, leadership in a complex organization that's in the public eye. I mean, when William Shawcross was appointed, he, he was the first to say, jokingly, he'd never done a job in his life. You know, I mean, he'd, he'd, been, a, he'd been a journalist and so on, a, a great contributor to you know, history and uh, controversy and debate. But it, I mean, he'd never done anything like that. I think it's really important. I mean, I, I, I know it's okay, it's, it's important perhaps for somebody to have been 
had a role in the BBC was, was something, but previously to have just been working in political offices and then in the House of Lords was, you know, was not, not a great grounding for somebody that, among other things, is has to hold to, to account um, the staff of the commission for running a complicated uh, operation and achieve efficiencies uh, and use public money well. I don't think that, uh, you know, this is all part of what is is necessary of the Charity Commission and, and the chair has to be credible in all these dimensions. So those are some of the things that are important. I don't think one has to specify, uh, you know, that it must be somebody who comes from one sector of society or another, but they must meet those essential requirements. Excellent. And I think they also need to be a person that is willing to listen and learn. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, my impression, that's all it is, is that however often careful input to the Charity Commission's chair in recent years about the misgivings that uh, many of us have about some of the things that she's been saying, she just goes on saying them anyway. I don't think that's really tenable. You know, I think that the, that the chair of a body has to listen carefully and process and be influenced by um, the views and opinions and passions of the different stakeholders uh, which, which have to be taken into account. And that includes many different kinds of charities. It includes many different kinds of charity trustees. It includes many different kinds of MPs on a cross-party basis, not just the governing party of the day. Um, so, uh, you know, and it, it includes newspapers of different kinds of uh, political persuasions, you know, not just the Telegraph or the Mail. You know, we need a chair that doesn't just sort of come with a, with a fixed set of uh, predetermined views and then sort of repeats them. Uh, every few weeks, regardless of the if effect that they're having, and regardless of the arguments that she's listening to. You talked in your blog, which we'll put a link to on this uh, this episode. That's okay. That the uh, ACEVO. Uh, letter to the Charity Commission, I think it was, uh, back in November. Um, what role does the charity sector and charity leaders have in, I suppose, working with the government to ensure that the Charity Commission and maybe the next chair of the Charity Commission is best placed to support the sector? Um, I think it's it does have a role in trying to represent to the DCMS, the Department of Culture, Media, Sport and Digital, how important the commission is from the point of view of charities and how important it is that some of the essential requirements that we've been talking about are met. Uh, because it doesn't work if the charity commission is not sufficiently respected by the people whom it is trying to regulate. We're not, you know, we're not talking about wanting somebody that is very soft on charities or, you know, is under the illusion that they're there to 
support and champion charities. That's not their role. We know that. Charities know that. But we are talking about someone that uh, has done a clear understanding of different roles of the commission on the one side and charities on the other, but who can have intelligent, open discussions uh, based on respect. And we need to have the chair of the board of charity commission above all who fits that bill but it's not only the government uh, it is crucially parliament because though unfortunately it is the government that appoints and pays the charity commission it's parliament to whom the charity commission should be accountable and in principle the charity commission is a non-ministerial public body uh, and actually, I think it's in, the, in all of our interests to have a better system than the one that we've got for appointment and paying the Charity Commission. It's easy for the government to play too great a role and for us to assume that the main target is to go and talk to the government. Of course, we have to do that. But we want to encourage Parliament to play its proper role and have its proper influence in these matters. And uh, members of Parliament very often are very familiar with a lot of actual uh, charitable work that goes on in their own constituencies. And they know they have a much better idea about a lot of that than people who are, are stuck in petty France in the Charity Commission. Tina Stoll has gone around talking about charity instead of charities. I think that's been a bit sort of symptomatic of um, some of the problems um, and has also represented a sort of mission creep where instead of talking about the specifics of regulating charities, um, it, it's, it's, she's become almost more like the Archbishop of Canterbury talking about charity. Um, and in fact, charity is a quality of uh, love and generosity, uh, which is by no means um, restricted to, to registered charities. Yeah. I mean, the quality of charity with a small C uh, is what we find in our families, uh, in our neighbours, in all sorts of informal, caring relationships, mm. in all kinds of wonderful voluntary organisations that are not charities. And, and so it's a very serious matter if the chair of the Charity Commission starts to talk as if her remit is charity. No, her remit is, and given her by Parliament, is to regulate registered charities. Um, and her job is not the same job as the Archbishop of Canterbury. So we don't want the next chair of the Commission uh, to be mounting the pulpit and giving us sermons, as they've almost been, on the spirit of charity, humility, kindness, and selflessness. Because that is, doesn't help us. We want precise and specific guidance as registered charities as to what it is that we have to do, what is recommended good practice, and with a, a strong degree 
of respect for trustees as the people who have to determine on that basis uh, what is in the best interests of our beneficiaries. So um, let's have no more loose talk and mission creep that the Charity Commission's job is to talk about charity with a small c. And can they please stick, can the next one please stick to the actual remit given by Parliament, which is to regulate charities? Andrew Perkis, OBE, thank you for contributing again to Charity Chats. It's been a real pleasure. big thank you there to Andrew Perkis OBE for giving us his time and sharing his knowledge and expertise as well as his well-informed views. It's vitally important that we, the charity sector, and the sector's regulator, the Charity Commission, understands that public interest is not the same as popular opinion. And Andrew, like many of us I expect, hopes for a more clear and precise policy and communication from the next chair of the Charity Commission. It's clear from many of the responses to recent comments from the current chair of the Charity Commission that the sector is not pleased with Baroness Stowell's approach. Indeed, as Andrew said, sweeping disparagement of the sector as a whole is annoying, especially when you're working your socks off like many of us are. And I, for one, fully agree with this. This has been a very difficult year for the charity sector which has slogged away despite a lack of funding to help more people and more demand than ever. Andrew said he wouldn't make the accusation that Baroness Stowell has been intentionally partisan, but he says that there is a problem of perception and there's a distrust of Baroness Stowell's political neutrality. Andrew recognised that successive chairs have struggled against perceptions like this, no matter how conscientious they are about showing their neutrality. So it's not just Baroness Stowell that's, that's faced these challenges. The next chair of the Charity Commission needs to as outlined in the job description, be free of partisan associations and should be perceived as independent. Culture wars. Now, Baroness Stowell's comments that charities shouldn't be involved in culture wars seem entirely at odds with the very notion of charities aiming to create a better, fairer world for their beneficiaries. I, for one, hope that the government learns quickly that the charity sector is a vital sector for the betterment and function of the country and that it is in its interests to support it. One function of that support will be to help ensure that the next chair of the Charity Commission better represents the behaviours and qualifications laid out in the job description and is well equipped to work with the charities to do more good. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk and of course Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from us, speak to you soon, keep doing what you can. Cheerio, bye bye.